I think it was the movie The Mask. Remember that movie, Johnny? I love that movie. I think it was the movie The Mask that I first discovered what Pig Latin was. Do we remember Pig Latin? You know what? I'm going to get to it. We're going to try it in a little bit. But the line, Ise use aderle. Nice. Yes. That is exactly it. There was this scene in the movie where uh, the, 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 the detective, he is getting held hostage by Jim Carrey, who is the mask. And he's like pulling him out of the station. And he sees the other funny detective. You remember this, sir. And he's like speaking pig Latin to him. And the guy's like, oh, pig Latin. Ise uye aderle. And that's all I know. That's the only thing I know how to speak in pig Latin. I'm not here to bring back pig Latin. Let's make that clear. Nor is it a preview for anything that is to come for the remainder of the sermon. No double talk here. No crazy language that you invented. I just want to say that I always thought pig Latin was very personal. And by personal, I mean this. People could have conversations, and even though I knew eventually how it worked, I didn't understand it. I didn't know what they were saying. I don't know how I could get what I wanted with them saying it. It was just no good. I didn't like it. And I can tell you right now that since none of you are awing or feeling bad for me, that is the entire purpose of Pig Latin. It's so you can say whatever you want and feel good about it, and I just, you know, I'm out of it because it's personal, it's private, whatever. But I have come to this realization about language. I've decided that I believe that prayer, that prayer is a language. And it's not a secret language. It's not one that involves some special pattern or way of speaking. It's not a language that separates. It's not a language that confuses. But prayer is a personal language. Completely, entirely personal. And so it's always interesting to me that there are so many hang-ups about prayer. Does anybody have any... Anybody if I were to call on someone, would you get up and give a prayer for us real quick? Or would you be like, dude, you point at someone else right now or I will take you down? <laughs> I mean, really, hang-ups with prayer. Anybody have hang-ups with prayer? This is an audience participation part. I wrote it down in my sermon. It's purple. It says, you will ask the audience a question and they will respond. If not, don't worry, I'm prepared. That's not a cop-out, but it is a safety measure. So, hang-ups with prayer? Anybody? Anything? Yeah, you don't have to raise your hand, but I do appreciate the, uh, the gesture. Just shout it out. Oh, you, you had your hand up a little bit ago. Now you're not going to shout it out? Somebody better. What'd you say? Being embarrassed. Yes, sir. And I promise I won't parrot what everybody says. That's a, learn, a thing I learned when I was a teacher. You don't parrot, Sarah could tell you, you don't parrot what they say back to them because then why would they say it in the first place? But yeah, prayer can be embarrassing. What if you say something, I don't know, silly? What if you do like an um or an ah in the middle of a prayer? What if someone hears your prayer and is like, what kind of prayer is that? Has that person never prayed before? Have you ever been there when someone prayed a prayer and then at the end of the prayer they said amen and everyone pointed fingers at them and started to laugh? Oh, you can't even pray. Nobody does that. But we do spend a lot of time thinking about what am I going to say if I get called on to pray? It's my son's birthday, and now it's my turn to pray because I'm the head of the household, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up, and I'm going to say this beautiful prayer, and everyone's going to be impressed and be like, man, he did a really good job on that prayer. I wonder about that, using measured language for prayer. It's a 
say what to do. So I thought about God. I thought about how God is personal. I think God's personal. I think three persons in one is kind of driving us to be personable, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that kind of thing. I thought about how God is very personable with us, that he knows us better than we know ourselves, that God has said that he chooses to dwell in us personally. And so when we try to use this, I don't know, measured language, this caught up in our head, thinking about what we're trying to say as we pray language, and we're in this very personal moment that sometimes it just doesn't seem to work, right? Now, hear me on this. I'm not saying that those prayers are not heard or that prayer is a lie, sir. You didn't mean it in your heart. But for me, and when I experience interacting with people and they ask me about prayer, it always, I think, comes back to this source. That we don't know what to say or how to say it. And there's a certain way that it should sound. It, it, it's a lot like pig Latin in that way. I know it when I hear it, but it doesn't make any sense, and I, I can't do it. And if you're starting to feel a little uneasy, a little fidgety, a little slouching in your chair, a little bit, he's serious about not calling on us, right, to pray in a little bit. You don't have to feel alone in that. And you certainly don't have to be ashamed of that. Remember, it was the disciples. You remember those guys, huh? They followed Jesus around. When they saw Jesus, who I'm going to call the inventor of prayer because he's God, sitting there praying, they went to him and said, how do you, how do, you do that? How can we be like you? How can we say what you say? How can we get in on that? And so he gives them and he gives us words to say, and then we grow up and take confirmation class in eighth grade, and then we learn what those words mean. But I wonder, I wonder if the disciples were ever like, actually, Lord, what, what do you mean? You told me to say these words, but do I just say them? And then, okay, then what? What's next? Because the scripture doesn't immediately respond by saying, the disciples heard the Lord's prayer and then never asked another question about prayer again. But I think Jesus was getting at a process. He was teaching them that if you want to learn how to pray, you got to first start by saying the words. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a baby when they learn to talk and they learn to say those first words. No one takes the baby who finally says a word and says, well, you know what? You also need to give this Webster dictionary uh, definition here, please. You know what? It's not just enough. No, we get stoked as parents or family members when the little fella says our name or says something like that. Have you ever seen a mom go, he said mama. Well, actually, I prefer him to say mother. He's really working on it. He's not in full sentences yet, but, you know, he's going to get there. Have you ever heard someone say, hi, 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 and they say it like a thousand times? You ever see a dad or a mom or a, or a cousin or anybody stop them and say, no, 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 when you address me, you will use the formal usted. You will not say just I. It doesn't happen that way. They say the words and we get excited. I met with someone the other day and after the healing service and after I prayed over them and the elders of the church and all the other people who like Mark Clemens get down and put their hands on them and we start praying for people, they came up to me and you know what they said was the most powerful part of the prayer? This was the part where you said, Lord, I don't even know. I don't know what to say. Lord, I don't know what to pray. I just don't know. 
The Apostle Paul talks about prayer like that. He talks about the Spirit groaning inside of us. He talks about silent prayers. He talks about crying. And if you've prayed a prayer where all you have is tears, you don't stop and say, I wonder if God heard that and I said the right words. You don't doubt your ability to pray in that moment. He gives us the words to say. He tells us what to pray and how to do it, how to make it personal. How to move from, oh, I'm worried and it's all up here to right into here. How we can learn to trust in him day by day, daily bread. How to see the world and our very lives from his perspective rather than our own. How to find forgiveness for ourselves because of Christ and how to give that forgiveness to someone else, how to learn how to bow before the Father, how to move from head to heart, and how to pray like the Psalms. Prayers of anger, prayers of lamenting, prayers of tears, prayers of rejoicing. It's in those prayers, it's in our hearts that we acquire the fluency in that personal, intimate, honest, earthy language that is prayer. And so if you struggle with prayer, be okay with whatever words you say. Be okay praying just like you were taught. Be okay being silent in prayer and saying nothing. Be okay speaking from your heart. Remember when you had a crush and you would see them and you didn't know what to say in front of them and you'd go, that's, it's okay, you can pray like that. It's not a big deal. It's a good thing. And never forget this. Prayer is personal. It is. But prayer is never individual. You are never less alone than when you pray. Because when you pray, even if there was no one else in the room, you are not alone. You are in the presence of the Father, Jesus Christ, intermediate. You pray for others who don't know you're praying for them, and others are praying for you, and you don't even know it. Because prayer is personal, but it's interrelational. It's the language of God's children all over the world. It's the one language that no matter who you are or where you come from, you can speak. Be bold in your prayer. Be spontaneous in your prayers. Be confident in your prayer. Because it is not a spiritual talent. It is simply a gift. So it is no wonder that Paul bursts into prayer in the middle of this letter to the Ephesians. You know, his prayer teaches us about the presence of God and the participation that we have with God. This prayer that we're going to go through is not one that teaches us how to get in touch with ourselves. This is a prayer that moves us away from a me-centered life into a Christ-centered life. There's no caution in this prayer. There is no restraint in this prayer. This is a bold prayer from the heart to be filled filled with the fullness of Christ alone. And as the words come up on the screen, I'm not going to read them, but you can meditate on them as I speak. It's a way of looking at something and not having to listen. I do it all the time. Not when you're talking to me, of course. Now, first thing that you should probably notice is to bow before the Father, to kneel. That's a physical act of reverence. There's no running away when you're on your knees. There's no ability to like look tough and strong. You can't strut from your knees. 
But on your knees before the Father, you become less. You become less so that you can be aware of more. You become still and present. It's a posture that goes against our ego and instead comes simply to the Father as a beggar. And so Paul says, strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. This prayer teaches us something. The first thing we see here is that we have the presence of God given to us so that we can be able to participate in a new life that he has called us to. That's called resurrection. That's the resurrection life that we have in Jesus. It is a life that is not lived by the power of ourselves, nor by the skills or the resources that we have acquired, but one that penetrates to our inner self. And it would seem here that the inner self has somehow been infiltrated, that Christ literally, Chris Tragel, literally dwells in us, meaning that the inner self is not some id, some ego, some super ego that influences our behavior, but is Jesus Christ himself, and that his power lives in us. Stop for a moment on that. Jesus Christ lives in us. In you. That's not an idea. That's not a concept. That is a fact. That is a promise. This is the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17 when he was sitting in the upper room with the disciples. I want you to listen to this. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's the message of the disciples. That all of them may be one. Just as you, Father, and I are one. Just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me. That they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. So that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and that you have loved them even as you have loved me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Put your mind's eye around that Jesus Christ in you. Not controlled by moods, not controlled by your feelings or whatever pops up in that moment. The power of Jesus Christ lives in you. You have been united to him. You have become one. Free, no longer tossed by the waves to and fro, but anchored in him. That's the power in your inner being. That's Christ dwelling in your heart. For where he dwells, he transforms. Each of us feels guilt. Each of our hearts can weigh heavy. Heavy from the shouldas, the couldas, the wouldas of this life. Heaviness that keeps us up at night. Anxiety that washes over us like a wave. Questions like, how am I going to make ends meet? What am I going to tell her? I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have said this. How am I going to beat this? It says, bring your worry. It says, bring your grief. It says, bring your pain. Bring every reason you have for any feeling of guilt or shame and lay it down. 
Lay it down as he takes you by the hand to the waters, the sweet water, the life-giving water of baptism. It's where the dwelling began. It's where the transformation took place. And then he grabs you by the hand and he takes you to the cross so that you can see what he's done for you, so that you know that he will dwell with you now and forever. And then he grabs you by the hand and he takes you to the table to give you himself. He offers you more than fast food grace. He offers you completely himself, dwells in you, works in you, makes you new, turns ruin into life, transforms you into something beautiful, transforms you into his. For it is in him, let's go to the next one, for it is in him that you have been rooted, personally rooted and established by Jesus himself, by Jesus' love power to comprehend. Grasp that if you can. Grasp it how wide it is, how long it is, how deep it is, how high it is, this love that surpasses all knowledge that he has for us. It's here in this love full of grace and mercy and confidence that he gives. It allows us to stop pretending that we're always okay, feeling like we have to be in control like we have to shape God to what we want God to be and to do. This is a love that drives us to let go. It drives us to seek his presence and to participate in his way of life, a way of life that runs deep, personal life, but never individual. We are not always okay or fine or good. We need him, and we need each other. Every person who came up for prayer, everyone here, we need each other. You're not part of a church for yourself. You're part of a church for each other, for the people sitting next to you. We are in relationship with one another and with Christ. And there is one secret to relationships. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. We learn that from Jesus. Rejoicing isn't just celebrating big things and having parties. It's small triumphs. It's a parent putting down the phone and reading to their child. It's a kid in college calling their grandma or their grandpa. It's a family who's experienced some sort of joy and wants to bring everyone over and say, look, look, first steps. Mourning isn't just sackcloth and ashes or having someone pass away. Mourning's having a, a bad day. Mourning's doing poorly on a test or not getting into the college that you wanted to go to or playing bad in your game. We grow in faith and we grow in love of Jesus Christ, the love that we've been rooted in when we connect to one another, when we discern what other people are feeling, their emotional state, and we empathize with them. And then we enter into that with them. We reach out and we connect with them. That, that is what you have been rooted into, established upon. That is what we strive to comprehend. Comprehend is just a fancy word for knowing and doing. 
so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Everything is God's, and he fills everything. And Paul boldly prays for that fullness to be in us. And I don't know about you, but I think it's time to pray. Not the end, so don't get too excited, but we're just going to pray. So let's do that. Why don't you grab the hand of someone sitting next to you? Lord, break down walls. Peel back. Peel back the layers of our hearts and instead fill us. We're nothing without you. We're broken. Can't even know. Can't even breathe, can't even be. But you promise us a heart, and your heart is our refuge, your heart is our strength. Give us your power, and in our weakness, carry us. When we're tired, renew our hearts, give us wings like eagles. When we're broken, restore us. There is nothing like your love for us. It is great. It fills us. It's like, it's like walking out into the sun and feeling the heat just stream down upon us. Fill us with your warmth, with, with hearts, with your presence. Give to each of us what we need. Fill us with your grace. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You are filled to carry out his peace, restorative hope. You are filled to carry out his love. Look at this last section. I want to believe this. I'm going, I'm going to believe this. Even when it's not clear, when answers aren't the way that I thought they were supposed to come, I'm going to come back to this verse right here. That God is beyond anything that we can conceive. That's a good thing. That God is beyond anything. That what he has given each of us in Jesus Christ is beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine. That he is working in me, he is working in you, that he has always been with us, that he will continue to be with us. That he is the power, that he is the savior, the alpha, omega, the king, the Messiah, the holy one. He is Jesus. To him be the glory now and forever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread.